Good morning, friends. <laughs> Wonderful to be with you today and to worship Messiah, the Lord of all, Jesus Christ. Beautiful day that God's given to us. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship, putting the focus on Christ this morning. And this morning, as we do have our connection emphasis, I want to encourage you to please stop by the tent afterwards and enjoy some time of fellowship there and some good uh, refreshments, but also just encourage you this morning to uh, check your connection. Make sure that you are connected in community. Uh, life, it was made for us as believers to be lived out together, right? And so that happens in community and I encourage you to go by. If you're not plugged in, find out where our ABFs, are, our ABFs meet. That's our adult Bible fellowships, our growth groups, small groups, where those meet, who's leading those. Also opportunities for training uh, to connect there. Great, great opportunities to know one another and grow in grace with Christ together. So I encourage you to go by there and uh, even if you are connected, go by and steal some refreshments, okay? <laughs> and do that, enjoy that, okay? Because if it's, I always say, if it's free, it's for me. That's just sort of the way I, I live, all right? Well, this morning we are in First Peter again, and so I encourage you to turn there if you would. First Peter, you're gonna find that passage on page 1016 in the Bible there that's provided for you. We are continuing, and over these next couple of weeks, bringing to a close this summer series uh, that we have entitled Excellence in Exile. We've been journeying through 1 Peter, this wonderful epistle by the Apostle Peter. And it's about exile, because as believers in Jesus Christ, we are exiles. Thank God, as we said over and over again, home is not here, right? Home is not here. And yet, even though this is not our home, ultimately we can and are called to live excellent lives. Excellent lives. We are to live out our identity. We are to live out who we truly are in Jesus Christ. Even though we are exiles, we are a free people. We've been made free by Christ. If the Son makes you free, you truly are free. That's what Jesus said. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, is what Paul said to the Galatians. So we are a free people in Christ. We are a liberated people. And that's the reason we've been called to what I want to share with you about this morning from God's word as Peter has given to us, a call to liberated living, liberated living. And that is found here in 1 Peter chapter 4. These first 11 verses of chapter 4, I want you to follow along. And even though we're exiles, we are free people. And even though as exiles, we suffer at times, the things that take place here on this earth for all, all people, but also as we suffer for following Christ, yet we have this liberty through that suffering. Now, Peter's writing about that, and he says this, beginning of verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time 
in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices or is sufficient for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now to me, one of the most beautiful statements found anywhere in the Bible is a simple, sobering, staggering question. But it is one of the most beautiful statements in the Bible. It's a question that was asked by an angel. It was asked by an angel to some of Jesus' most devoted disciples on that Sunday morning that we now refer to as Easter Sunday morning. Do you remember the question? The angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? I love that. I love that question. So simple. It's like the angel Why? You seek the living among the dead. So simple, but so staggering that Jesus Christ, who lived and died on the cross in the grave three days, now alive forevermore. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Today, from this passage that we've just read, that has to do a lot about understanding the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection. I have a question based on that truth that I'd like us to consider. Why do you seek a life 
among the dead. Why do you seek a life among the dead? If Jesus has suffered and died for us and has risen and we are alive in him, then why do we seek a living among the dead? Friends, Jesus is alive. And if he's not alive, then we are of all people most to be pitied, right? Jesus is alive. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are alive already in him. You are alive now. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been freed from death. That is true. And so, walk that out. That's, that's what Peter is saying. Walk that out. Walk out this life of liberty. Don't seek a living among the dead. Walk it out. And so my challenge this morning, first of all, would be from God's word here, a challenge to all of us is to walk out of the cemetery. Walk out of the cemetery. That walk of life, Peter says, begins right here. Verse seven, you see this? He says, this is the walk, the walk of life out of the cemetery. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He says, now Christ has suffered in the flesh. That is a historical reality. But Christ has been resurrected. And so he says, now arm yourself, arm yourself with the way Jesus approached his suffering. That's, that's his thought. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about how Jesus determined to suffer for a greater purpose. And now that we must follow the path of Christ so that we might really live even as Christ has suffered and now is alive. His suffering has accomplished God's purposes. You remember last week, if you were with us, if not, we looked at verse 18 of chapter 3 down through the end of the chapter, verse 22, and it's, we're told there that Jesus, through his suffering, through his suffering, accomplished three great purposes. He accomplished Salvation. He brought salvation. He died the just for the unjust that he might what? Bring us to God. And praise God, it is finished, right? So he accomplished salvation and he brought vindication. The Bible says he went down and he proclaimed his victory over the demonic forces of hell. And he declared the victory that he'd given to his people. And then he ascended to glory, so he accomplished glorification. How did Jesus see his suffering? He saw it, he saw it through bringing salvation, bringing vindication, 
and then bringing glorification. That's how he saw suffering. And now, direct thought. There's no chapter divisions. Peter goes right into chapter four. His next thought is, now, therefore, since Christ has suffered this way in the flesh, you arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, the same way that Jesus thought about suffering. Jesus knew suffering. Jesus knew death. But now he knows the new life. And Peter says to us, now arm yourself. Secure yourself. Get your mind around that. That the person who is armed with the mind of Christ has ceased from sin. The idea is not that you'll be sinlessly perfect. The Bible clearly says that's not the case. Even Peter says here, what does he mean? That you've ceased from sin. It means that you recognize there's been a death. That, that you through Christ have died to an old way of life and there's a new way of life. And to wrap your mind around the fact you're not dead anymore. <laughs> you're alive in Christ. So walk out of the cemetery Wrap your mind around this, that we have been resurrected to new life. Verse two, so as to live. He says, we're done with this living in sin, this death, so that we're to live for the rest of the time, the rest of the days that we have on earth. That's what it means. We're to live the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What Peter is saying is that we have a new operating system. We, we no longer live for human passions, human desires, but the spirit within us is a new operating system so that we desire to live for the will of God. Now this reality, and it is reality, is, is beautifully pictured for us in baptism. Do you remember what Peter has just talked about? He's just talked about baptism. You remember the verses before? And so he's using that idea of the death and the burial in baptism and this new life to say this is the way we should think. We have a new operating system, a new life. That's pictured in Baptism, and Paul said this in Romans chapter six. Have you ever wrapped your mind around this new identity you have in Jesus? Romans chapter six, here's what Paul says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin how can we who died to sin still live in it? <laughs> Walk out of the cemetery. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his what? His death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in newness of life. Now, folks, listen to what I'm about to tell you. 
That is not make-believe. That is what has happened in spiritual reality by the miraculous new birth to every single Christian. Every person who calls on Jesus, trusts Jesus as Lord, that person has died to the power of sin, has been resurrected with Christ, has a new operating system, the new life in Christ. That is reality. And we've got to walk out that new reality. This is not just figurative speaking. This is recognizing in Christ, I've died with him. I've been resurrected. I have new life. This is reality. And so I have to remember, here's the struggle I have because I have it, you have it, even though I'm a resurrected man and you're a resurrected man or woman if you're a Christian. Even though you are a resurrected human being in your spirit, if we're not careful, something awful can creep back into our lives. We we can forget that we've been resurrected from a living death. And we can, we can be tempted and drawn back into that kind of living death. Look at our text here. Look at what Peter says in chapter four, verse three. He says, for the time that is past is sufficient. The time is past sufficient for what? Sufficient for doing what the Gentiles do. The Gentiles here means the pagans, the people who do not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through his son, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. These people that do not know him, he says the pagans, he says they live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, Lawless idolatry, these terrible sins were actually part of the life expression and the worship expression of the pagan gods. He says, we've been resurrected from this living death. He says, so the time is done, it's enough. What you did in the past is to no longer live in that lifestyle of the living dead. The walking dead. This is the lifestyle. This is the real lifestyle of the real walking dead. And he says, now notice. It's an amazing thing. When you walk out of the cemetery, guess what? The walking dead aren't too happy about you leaving the cemetery. You get resurrected, you become a new person in Christ, and you walk out of that living death, and what do the walking dead think about it? Look at verse four. With respect to this, they are surprised. When you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, that is, they speak evil against you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Isn't that so true? 
that you can live your life in the cemetery of this culture and you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, nothing is really, it seems, off limits anymore. Everything is acceptable. It seems like everything can be a part and you can openly discuss it and live it. And guess what? The tomb dwellers, the tomb dwellers will proclaim about all that lifestyle, toleration, enlightenment. You, you see, the tomb dwellers aren't people walking around dragging their feet, sucking air out of their jawbone. Tomb dwellers are people who take ungodliness according to the Lord's value of that. They take ungodliness and make it toleration, enlightenment. That's the tomb dwellers. But what is it the tomb dwellers can't tolerate? They can tolerate anything but light. Oh, they talk about toleration and enlightenment. But let one dead man or woman get resurrected by the power of Jesus Christ and start beaming with the glory of God in his or her life and begin walking in love and speaking of righteousness. And I will tell you that tolerance goes away like a mist. Why is that? Because the Bible says darkness is reproved by the light. And guess what you are if you are a true Christian? You are a child of the light. You don't have to go around with a big Bible over your hand beating people, beating people over the head with it. You don't have to be intolerant. You're not saved to be intolerant. You don't have to be a know-it-all, no. You can live in modesty and humility and speak the love of God in Christ and you will find out the walking dead don't like that. Friends, listen. We are the light and it's not easy to be ridiculed for your faith. But I want to tell us something, folks. It'll never be easy but expect it. This world is no friend of grace to help us on to God. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're exiles. Here is not home. And we are seeking a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And while we walk in this darkness, we are walking with the light that we reflect, not our own light, the light of the one who raised us from the dead, Jesus, the Prince of Light. And so we're ridiculed at times for our faith, but when you're ridiculed by people for your faith, there's a couple of things to remember. Number one, remember that one time you were without faith. 
It's only by the grace of God you're still not part of the walking dead. It's only because Jesus in his mercy and unmerited favor stopped by your grave and spoke your name like he did to Lazarus and you came out and I came out of our stinking spiritual death alive by the grace of God. That's the only thing we can claim. And so we cannot in a proud and arrogant way Be hateful and spiteful to those who speak that way of us because except for the grace of God, we would still be there. Part of the walking dead. And then also remember this. And it's a terrible thing. But remember it. The walking dead will one day have an appointment with the living God. Verse five, but they will give an account. They don't give an account to you or to me, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. My friends, listen. At times we're tempted to envy the wicked because the walking dead don't look like the walking dead. They look like people who've got life on a string and things go well for them and bad for us. People speak well of them. Nothing seems to happen difficultly to them and we can, we can view them that way. That's the way it seems to us. And, and if we're not careful, we can begin to envy. But friends, back up, back up. How can we envy anyone in these days who is not prepared for that day? The judgment day. God help us to remember these things. And remember, God help us to remember, this is something else Peter says here. We're not alone. There are millions who have gone before us, right? We have a great cloud of witnesses. Look at verse six. We have been resurrected with other living witnesses. There are others who have gone before us. Verse six, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What is Peter saying? He says, remember, this is the very reason the gospel has been preached to people who have already died. That's what it means, judged in the flesh, the way people are. Every human being is going to have that judgment. We are going to die. But those who are Christ, who have been resurrected to new life in him, they are not dead that have died. They are very much alive to God. They live in the spirit. They live as God lives with him. What did Jesus said? He that, what did he say? He that lives and believes in me can never what? Die. 
We down here are what the theologians call a part of the church militant. We are, we are in a spiritual warfare, and that warfare is inside of us and around us as we're fighting the enemy, and we're seeking by God's grace and love to expand the kingdom. We're going against the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the church militant, but we're headed to be a part of the church triumphant, right? That is the cloud of witnesses to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the spirits of just men now made perfect. That's where we're headed. And so we press on. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who yes, by God's gracious gospel have been made alive. Now they've passed away, but now they're living forevermore. Resurrection life, life now, life forever. That's the life he's talking about. Life now, not life one day after you die, but a life now that begins right now with Christ as your savior and extends throughout the eternal ages. That is eternal life, life unto the ages. It's not future tense, it's present tense and we're living it out on this earth, hindered by the world, our flesh, tempted by the devil, but eternal life is a present reality for Christians, right? And so now, by God's grace, we have walked out of the cemetery. <laughs> now by God's grace, verse seven, we can walk into true liberty. Now walk it out. Here's the truth. You have died with Christ and been resurrected to a new life. The time past was sufficient for you to live the way the pagans live. You're no longer the part of the walking dead. You're now alive in Jesus. Now walk out this liberated life. Walk out true liberty. And that's how we see this begin in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter has talked about the Christian's past. You have been resurrected. You were dead, now you're alive. He's talked about the Christian's future. You will live as God does in the spirit. You will live with him. But now he's talking about our present, our present tense. He says, be ready, be right, be free, live true liberty. Now, what does true liberty look like? People really don't understand liberty, by and large. People think that liberty means that you have the freedom to do anything. My friend, that's not liberty, that's bondage. True liberty is the freedom by the God's empowerment 
to do the right thing. That's true freedom. What does freedom look like? Well, notice Peter says, here's what freedom looks like. Here's what liberty looks like. And he kind of uses this head, heart, and hands idea. Now, he doesn't say head, heart, and hands, but you're going to see the idea is thinking, that which is from your heart toward others, and that you are to do for others. That's what it means to walk in liberty. He says to walk in liberty, verse 7, means you walk with a sober mind. With a sober mind. Look at verse 7 again. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled and sober-minded. We could say today in the vernacular, that means get serious. Get, get serious about your life. Peter is saying here, life is not a game. Get serious about life. Friends, life is not a game. It's not a game for us. Life for us as Christians is not PlayStation. Life for us as Christians is not Pokemon. Life for us as Christians is serious business. He says the end is is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Your life may be almost over or the trumpet may almost be ready to sound. It's time to be serious. To get serious about our lives. And the how we get serious is being serious about prayer. Get serious for prayer if you're serious about life. He says, stay alert for prayer. Be serious for the sake of your prayers. Do you think that might tell you that almost 40 years after the fact, Peter still remembers something? Stay awake for prayer. Jesus said to he James and John, I need you guys. Come pray with me. And they couldn't do it. They fell asleep. And Jesus came back to them that night, time and again, and he said, watch in prayer, the same word, be serious, be alert to prayer. The spirit is willing. I know your spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. So you know when your heart desires to do what's right, but your flesh is weak and you're susceptible, what should we do? Pray. Pray. Get serious about prayer. It's only those who kneel in prayer that can truly walk in liberty. It's only those who kneel in prayer that can truly walk in liberty. Folks, listen to me. We can't do this. We can't do this on our own. We cannot live this life that we have been empowered to live apart from the power of Christ. And where do we connect with that power? Where do we connect with the one who is the power? It's in prayer. 
We walk in liberty with sober minds. And then you walk in liberty with a sober mind. But that doesn't mean you're tough and hard. No. You see, when you pray, God makes you tough. But he keeps your heart tender. Verse 8. With sensitive hearts, walk it out above all. More than anything else, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. How is liberty expressed? How is your Christian liberty expressed? Oh, it's expressed, but I'm not bound up by legalism anymore. I'm not bound up by these can-dos and can't-dos. No, 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 I'm free. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm free. I've got my life. Whatever I want to do, I do. Because I'm spiritual, you know, I'm really free in Christ. And so I'm not held down by any rules or regulations. That's, that's how you express freedom. Wow, is that missing it or what? When you're truly free, you are more interested in others than you are yourself. And the last thing in the world you would want to do would be to hinder or harm another brother or sister. He says here, love one another earnestly. That literally earnestly means stretched out like an athlete. You remember, I can't remember which one of our athletes, the athlete, it wasn't one of ours, that threw herself across the finish line at the Olympics. You remember this? I mean, that's literally stretched out, okay? And the idea is the very same here. Just stretch yourself out with everything within you to do what? To love people. You say, really? Don't you just wait around till you feel good about folks? Don't just wait around till you leave church, leave church and all the flowers are just blooming so brightly and the bees have never buzzed so nicely and all oh, the springs and the wind. Isn't that when you really love? My word, folks, you're going back to the 60s, some of you, right? You know, you're back in Woodstock or something. What in the world is that all about? That's not love. Love will cost you everything. Love is work, <laughs> But it is driven and fueled by the Lord Jesus Christ in his great love that's been poured out for on, on your heart and soul for the sake of others. That's true love. Loving fervently and loving with forgiveness. You say, well, I love, but I just can't forgive. What does love do? Love covers what? A multitude of sins. What does that mean? You say, well, hey, I just can't forget about it. It doesn't say anything about forgetting about it. It says cover it. Love covers. Love, you want the word cover? means the idea of pass over. Love applies the grace of God that you've received to others and with that grace, you pass over their sin. 
Doesn't mean there's not consequences of sin. Doesn't mean that things have not perhaps been incredibly, terribly changed. But as far as in your heart, you are free because you've released that person. You, you are passing over them. Love fervently, love for, with forgiveness and love with friendliness. Verse nine, he says, show hospitality to one another. <laughs> the idea is just loving strangers, opening your homes to other people. This was so important to the early church for the first two centuries. They didn't have churches to meet in. They churched and they met in homes and Christians would go from one area to the other and they didn't want to stay in the pagan inns. They didn't want to stay there. Those places were dens of thieves and vice. And so where do they stay? They stay with Christians, but that means opening your home regularly and do it without grumbling. Look out, Ma, here comes some more. No, how, how do you overcome that kind of spirit? By opening your hands. Jesus said, freely you have what? Received, now freely give. See, living in liberty is open hands. Open hands are free hands. Clenched fists are not free. Open hands are free hands, and free hands are serving hands. And that's the last thing I want you to see about liberty. It's with a sensitive love and serving hands. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, that word gift there is charisma. It means, comes from the idea, a gift of grace. A gift of grace. As each of you has received a gift. What is that? That's in a divine enablement given to you through your experiences, your training, your past life, the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You have enablement for ministry. As each one, there's not some people who've got spiritual gifts and others don't. Each one has divine enablement. What are we to do? We're to use it to serve one another as good stewards. The word stewards, managers. Managers of God's varied grace. What's that referring back to? The gifts. God, through his grace, has given you abilities for ministry. And they're not yours. You're a manager. God's the owner. And so you manage those gifts to serve other people. God-given abilities to serve. We are stewards of God's gifts. We're not owners. We're managers. Every ability that you have, all the training that you have, the life experiences that you have, everything you've learned along the way, and those things that you have abilities with, you don't know where you got them. Those all work their way back to God. And the Holy Spirit says now, those are mine, but you manage them in serving others. If you speak, that doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. If you're speaking to someone, speak as the oracles of God. Share God's truth. Don't share your opinion. Share what God says in love. 
So if you're speaking, if that you're serving, it's a speaking service, make sure you're not speaking human reasoning, but you're speaking revealed truth in love. Or if you're serving, if you're serving in people's lives and ministering anyway, you do it with God's enablement. You do it with the strength that God has given. Now folks, ultimately our life, this new life in Christ, resurrected from the grave, we've walked out of the cemetery, this new life of liberty that we have in Jesus Christ is for one purpose. It is for our Lord. Our lives, our liberty is for our Lord. Look at verse 11. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, just think this is Peter who has eaten and slept with Jesus. This is Peter who has talked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. This is Peter who has watched him and he knows this carpenter that he followed is alive and he is the Lord. And he now says to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. All these decades later, he is still driven by the vision in his mind of his best friend. The one who died for him. The one who restored him back to his position among the disciples. The one who kept him from going back to a fishing assignment. The one who ascended to glory. He says, he's my vision. To him be glory forever and ever. Let's bow our heads as our heads are bowed. Dear friend, I want to ask you this. I'm asking you, do you know that you are no longer part of the walking dead? Do you know that you've been resurrected through faith in Christ? Do you know, do you know that you know that the spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a daughter or a son of God? Is your faith in Jesus? Do you call upon Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Friend, right now, right now, I beg you. Lift up those hands to Christ, the living Lord. Lift up those decaying good works. Lift up that croaking voice and call on Jesus right now to give you life. He will call upon Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him, not about him. Rely on him. Trust him and you will be saved. Today is the day. The time past is enough. Who will say this morning, that's enough, that's enough. 
that life is enough. New life in Christ is what I want. New life. How about God's children here? Will you go to that person with whom that relationship's not right? Will you say, that's enough, that's enough. My Lord said to say, it's enough. These, these plans that I've made, will you say to your wife, your husband, will you say, that's enough? Would there be young people here that by God's grace would say to their parents, I've been living my way of rebellion. That's enough. It's enough. Would there be retirees here in this room who would say, I'm taking these years of my life. I'm doing only the things that bring me joy. That's enough. Enough of that. Enough of that. My life is Christ. Be thou my vision. O Lord of my heart, a stand. Let's sing this to the Lord. Make it your prayer. Maybe you need to sit where you're there and pray. And maybe you just need to come and pray. We invite you. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Let's sing it done. Be thou.